Welcome to the Too Bad Eugene podcast. I'm your host, Adam Nye. Let's talk Too Bad Eugene. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of the Too Bad Eugene podcast. Uh, I am very thankful right now because we we are going into the Thanksgiving week. uh, And so things are slowing down a little bit after a very busy season. Uh, both in my own life and within my um, my wife's life, our family generally, we're, we're getting some time to slow down this week. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm going to get to work on music a bit. Uh, I'm going to go see Black Adam tomorrow night, and then I'm going to go see Black Panther Wakanda Forever again because I loved that movie, and uh, I'm going to see that again, so I'm very thankful for that, for just time to slow down and do some stuff. Um, some stuff I love, some stuff I enjoy doing, spending Thanksgiving with uh, with my family, with my parents and uh, extended family on Thursday. We're going to get our Christmas tree on Friday. Uh, it, yeah, we're, we're those people. Um, it's that time of year, and I am just absolutely thrilled about that. I hope uh, you all are going to be having a, a good Thanksgiving week or that you are currently having one whenever you're hearing this podcast. Um Today marks the beginning of uh, the first of three episodes of this podcast as I get into a section of the album where uh, uh, these three songs, Through the Window, Anecdote, and Get Back There, I wrote all three of those in the span of three days. Actually, those are three out of four I wrote in four days. The fourth one didn't make it to the record, and it was the first of those four days. Uh, That was when I had a week off um, in February of of 2021, which was not very long before we actually went in to record the record. Uh, I think we started recording drums in April. So yeah, just a couple of months before we really got, got going on the recording, I wrote three of these songs one a day <laughs> for for three days straight. Um, and so none of these songs have any like evolution uh, as s- some of the ones I've been doing. Some of the, I think my favorite episodes of this podcast so far have been the ones where there's lots of evolution, where I demoed them a lot and was able to play some of that. Uh, unfortunately, that's not going to be the next three episodes. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be doing other stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll have... Um, quite a bit to say on next week's episode about anecdote. That will be fun. Uh, but today and uh, for the episode on Get Back There, we will uh, at least, well, at least I'm fairly positive on uh, Get Back There. Stay tuned. But on this one, for Take Another Shot, we will uh, once again have a uh, special guest interviewee. Uh, so that's going to be fun. That's going to be my son, Calvin, our drummer in Too Bad Eugene. So that's uh, this is three weeks in a row I've just interviewed people in, uh, in my family. It's been very um, convenient because they're all just in my house. I just go knock on their door and be like, hey, can you come here a minute? Uh, and we have these conversations. But before we do the interview, um, I, I do want to talk about the song a little bit. Let's hear a taste of Take Another Shot. Here it is. Yeah, 
Heck yeah. That's a fun song to listen to. At least I think so. Uh, I'll tell you what, though. It's not a very fun song to try to sing. <laughs> this, this is one of those things, and I do this to myself uh, every once in a while. I, I You know, the uh, a song, uh, maybe this is something I, I do think I'm growing in, but as a songwriter, at least my default, I, I would say, uh, especially as a younger songwriter, a song emerged from something I'm hearing in my head. I'm like, wow, it would be cool for a song to sound like this. And you don't think that much about it would be a song. Uh, it would be cool for a song to feel like this. You don't think about how it's going to feel either on your hands on the fretboard if you're playing guitar or bass, um, or think about you know with my mouth, you know moving the syllables around. That's actually something I'm really not very good at. I, I talk with kind of a lisp. Um, I, I I have to really focus on speaking clearly, on enunciating all of the like drama warm up and vocal like choir warm up stuff. My wife and daughter do. I really can't do. Uh, I, I can't uh, move my mouth around that uh, with, with very great agility. And this song kind of calls for that. And I didn't really think that through all that well. <laughs> I mean, I could do it well enough for recording. But when we were um, getting ready to play some shows, we had this song on our potential live list. And we tried it in the band room. And I, it was just a mess. I could not pull it off at all. Uh, so, yeah, you come see us live. It is not likely you're going to hear us play <laughs> Take Another Shot. I am sorry to say. Maybe I shouldn't admit that, but I don't know. I don't got a lot of filters. There you go. There's that information. Um, <laughs> um, let me talk about this one musically, first of all. Because, number one, I, I've already talked about it lyrically um, on the opening episode of this of this show where I just kind of told the story of the album. Um, there's a sense in which the lyrics of this song are part of telling the story of the album. So I've already touched on it, but I'll come back to it in a minute. Musically, though, this uh, all three of these songs come from a phase in making the album where uh, the album was happening, right? Uh, as opposed to um, Non Grata and Distance, which were the first couple of songs to you know that I was kind of holding in my hands. I'm like, ooh, I think we could make a record here. At this point, there was a record. Um, the inclusion of each of these songs was kind of bouncing other songs that felt weaker off the list. Um, so yeah, we, we were rehearsing regularly. We were getting ready to record. Um, and I just still had creative energy, um, and, and wanted to make some new stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a pretty obsessive person about a lot of things. Um, but as we were getting ready to make this record, one thing, you know, I was doing fairly obsessively was listening to the various demos, um, no longer just for the songs themselves, but for the kind of the canon as a whole. You know, like what, uh, you know, what was the shape of this record going to be? I was listening for the alchemy between the different songs. How did they flow into each other? Um, and what I was what I was really thinking about was, you know, going into especially the second half of this record, I was worried that the energy would drop. That, you know, often, and that happens, you know, oftentimes you put your freshest, most exciting stuff up front on a record. And then if you have some things that you like, but are maybe just a little bit more, I don't know, reflective or uh, just with, they pop with less energy, you put those in the back half. Uh, and I would say the way I was thinking about the record from the demos 
it was looking like that might happen. And I was like, no, I really want to keep that from happening. I, I wanted to write some stuff um, where the second uh, half of the album kind of had a second wind. Because um, really, I mean, you know, uh, the songs I've named already, Non Grata and Distance, those songs themselves, I think they have a great beat, but uh, they, they themselves have kind of um, a melancholy to them that is intentional and that I love. Uh, and I think it, it's maybe one of the basic... Um, you know, uh, the ingredients of Too Bad Eugene, I think, always kind of have been this mix of melancholy and like energy. You you keep the pace fast, and then you're not bored <laughs> by kind of darker, um, you know, r- reflective things. Um, but you know, as the songs get past the three minute mark, um, as they're getting expanding, especially if there is kind of minor uh, stuff going on, and you're dealing with deeper lyrical themes. Um, yeah, to me, I I wanted the second half of the album to kind of contrast that, maybe go a little lighter (laughs) lyrically. Um, you notice that these songs are all fairly short, uh, and they are, um, and that was, that was fairly intentional. I've actually, it's one of the uh, most common comments I get about the record is particularly the song get back there. A lot of people have responded to get back there. And, uh, but the response so often is, man, I really like that song. I wish it was longer. I was like, oh, I made it pretty short on purpose. Um, one of the reasons for that is, uh, you know, I, I was listening to punk rock music that inspires me. And in that period, the winter of 2021, I was, uh, listening to Dookie quite a bit. Green Day's, you know, big breakout major label record. Um, I was also, you know, I, my three favorite Green Day records are their first three. The two full-length Lookout records. Um, well, you know, the, the version I've always had of the first one is the compilation uh, with 1,039 smoothed out slappy hours, I think is what they called it, because they put together like a full-length and a couple EPs, and I forget what the original name of the, of the full-length was. But I love that record, and I love Kerplunk, and I love Dookie. Um, and I was listening to Dookie kind of a lot and especially I was focusing on the second half of the record. I'm like, okay. Cause you know, I, I enjoy that record as a record and I was noticing like, yeah, like on the second half, there's some like, there's some like two minute songs, ones that just kind of go a B a B, you know, structurally, they don't have like a, a, a bridge or, um, you know, they don't go into a third verse or a third chorus. It's just like a quick idea and out. And you kind of throw several of those together. I mean, that's kind of a punk rock tradition. You go back to the Ramones, you know, long records of short, simple songs. And, um, you know, we really moved away from that, like on our second record. Moonlighting is 10 songs, but I forget how long it is. It's like 40 minutes long because a lot of those songs are, you know, they're some of them are a little slower um, and... Uh, longer (laughs) so yeah it's it's noteworthy that uh the only two songs from that record we play live uh we we play nobody's home every show we all love that song um and then every once in a while we play theological um but that's pretty much it for moonlighting Uh, so yeah as i've gotten older i've kind of swung back to you know i really like i like a few fully developed you know, have a bridge, uh, you know, maybe a third verse with kind of a different feel, a, 
a major final chorus with like extra background vocals. I like all that. Um, but I, I also do like it on a record when there's just some short songs. Um, so yeah, uh, I've been listening to quite a bit of Dookie for a few days and then went into this period where I had a week off uh, in February, 2021. And yeah, like every morning I'd like take a shower and have an idea in the shower and then immediately get out, dry off, get dressed and get my guitar out and start hammering it out. Um, and w with quite a bit of an intentionality did not further develop these songs. I just wanted fresh energetic stuff i also knew you know my instructions were to calvin were like be busy <laughs> just go crazy D do stuff on these songs that just makes them fun and i think he did that and uh i <laughs> uh, it, it accomplished for me what i was looking for um i'm i, I want to go off on a slight side tangent and i don't know if i've ever talked about this already so if if i already talked about this on an earlier episode i i'm sorry you can skip ahead but um i just going back to that idea of sequencing the record before you make it um and what i mean by that is um when we made when i was in craig's brother and we made homecoming um that was a obviously major moment in my life. It was such an incredible experience. But I was also like, I was new kid in that band. Uh, I, I hadn't known any of those guys for very long, um, like a year when we were uh, really making that record. And I wanted to be contributing to it. I was writing songs, but I was also really loving what Ted and Andy were writing. So it was this collaborative process. And I started think of, thinking about, well, which of these songs would maybe be the album opener? Um, how, how do you see one song leading into another? And neither Ted nor Andy were interested in having that conversation. <laughs> they kind of shut it down. They were like, dude, it's way too early to start making those kinds of decisions or even have, well, yeah, start making those kinds of uh, decisions. And I would just be like, well, who's making decisions? I just want to have the conversation. Let's just sort of kick it around. Let's, let's try out different ideas and think those through in our heads and like, um, you know, because I would then go home on my guitar and actually like play one song into another and just sort of think in my, because we didn't have demos really. Um, or if we did, I did, I don't remember having them. Uh, and yeah, those guys did not want to do that. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't remember how much of that happened on Too Bad Eugene's earlier records. But uh, going into this record, the fact that like creatively I was really getting to kind of do whatever I wanted. <laughs> yeah, this was not an album being made by committee. Uh, like uh, Sam and Calvin were, uh, were just very supportive. Like I was able just to be creative and, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that wasn't, I wasn't stepping over them. I'm like, okay, hey, uh, you know, are you guys cool? If I just sort of dream this up and like, uh, not dictate whatever, but you know, yeah, I, I think it was kind of clear that I, I, I was free to just sort of like clear blue sky dream, you know, how this might go. Uh, and, and it could happen that way. So yeah, before we recorded anything of the record, I had already come to pretty firm decisions about what the sequence of songs would be on it. And, um, yeah, I think the, the fact that I was thinking that way the whole time, led to these songs coming into it because I wanted to, uh, yeah, I wanted to think through where the album might feel weak. And in the early sequences and demos, I'm like, yeah, we're getting into some kind of slower songs. 
that I kind of thought were cool. But they were by far not my the songs that were getting me the most excited about the record. So the idea of being able to kind of tweak how not how a song feels, but how the record feels by you know writing songs intentionally to fill a gap um, and give the back half of the record some uh, a second wind, especially because I knew um, the album was going to finish on a little bit more mellow and meditative tones. I, I knew that I lost the world and um, January 6th were going to be happening at the end of the record. Um, so I, I wanted to make those songs feel different than what was going on otherwise uh, in the second half of the record. And if we would have gone, and I couldn't even tell you what the original songs I had. Uh, yeah, I can. I can think of what the songs that got moved from those spots were. But yeah, I, I think those songs, it, when we got to I Lost the World, it would have been like, oh, like another song around this tempo. Whereas now, it's like the fact that it slows down there feels kind of fresh, at least to me. So this one, uh, take another shot. Yeah. <laughs> I You know, in my ears, it doesn't really sound like Green Day. Um, I, I definitely hear more of our bread and butter influence of like Descendants and all, uh, you know, my the one band that is two that is like my favorite thing in the world. Um, okay. This is kind of a stretch, but maybe another influence I think I might hear in this song is Van Halen. Um, Eddie Van Halen had died a few months earlier. Um, I don't remember exactly when that is, but I want to say it was toward the end of 2020. Um, and so I had been listening to Van Halen quite a bit. Um, and I kind of hear some Sammy Hagar era Van Halen, like in the melody of the chorus is kind of where I hear that. It's, it's, it's a bit of a stretch, kind of subtle. Uh, but I, yeah, so I really don't hear Green Day as a, uh, like melodically or, uh, you know, as an influence. It's more just the idea of short and like blast of energy and, uh, you know, just two parts, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, quick riff out. Um, so, uh, lyrically this song, uh, again, as I discussed on the first episode of the podcast, um, yeah, it's a pep talk. And, um, I remember playing it for my wife and, and saying that, you know, that she and I were taking walks a lot, uh, throughout 2020 and, um, I told her, I'm like, yeah, this, to me, the, the idea of the song lyrically was like the kinds of things we say, uh, while we're taking our walks. And she was like, well, is it me talking to you? Or are you talking to me? And I thought about it for a second. I'm like, both, <laughs> because that's what we were doing. Um, you know, we were getting this time to meditate about the kind of the place we were in our lives. And I was feeling like, you know, I, I'm actually pretty happy with my professional career as a teacher, but I'm feeling unsatisfied creatively. Like I miss doing music. And she was like, well, yeah, maybe now's the time. Uh, I, we, uh, I really, we had been so busy getting a band started any earlier than that really wouldn't have worked. But now because of the shutdown, things were slowing down and it could kind of work. So she was encouraging me. And then on her side, um, you know, she, she had stuff going on. She does things as a drama teacher for elementary and junior high kids. She does after school programs. Uh, and I think she, you know, she feels very uh, fulfilled in that work. But there was this lingering thing about being a children's book 
um, writer and illustrator, which she's very talented at. And that dream had kind of stalled. And so I was telling her, you know, take another shot. Let's like, let's put some effort into this and let's, let's close the deal on these things. Rather, you know, I, I think creative people, we're oftentimes good at starting things. We need help keeping our eye on the prize to finish them. And so that's what we were trying to be for each other in these conversations um, was, yeah, go ahead and start again. And then, and I'm going to be here. I'm going to help you. Like, let's push it all the way through. Let's get this new thing we're, we're starting to a finishing point. And I'm very proud to say that we both did. Uh, she uh, self-published uh, this wonderful children's book called Hamlet Moves to the Sea. Um, we got this record out, distance, and um, there is momentum. There's wind in both of our sails. Rachel's working on more books. I'm writing more songs. We're working on more things. Uh, it, it is really satisfying to look back on that period and see the kinds of decisions we wanted to make and see like how they're bearing fruit now. So that's the song, Take Another Shot. Um, we're going to take a quick break here for a second, and when we come back, we're, I'm going to have an interview with my son, Calvin, that uh, unlike the last couple of weeks where the interview is kind of focused on the song in question, uh, Calvin and I are just going to chat. You're just going to get to know my son a bit, hear the dynamic between the two of us, uh, and that'll be fun. So I'll be back in just a moment. Here's a bit more of Take Another Shot. All right, Calvin Nye, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Adam Nye. <laughs> I washed my hands for this. Oh, wow. I appreciate you doing that. Um, so why don't we start? Uh, I, last week, I started by asking Mercy about how she got started at, uh, in music. So like, I think I asked this question. When you think back to your childhood, like, what is one of your earliest musical memories? Do you want me to tell the version where it's not you making me play music every single Saturday? You absolutely can tell any version you want to tell. And make sure you hold that mic real close. How's this? Yeah, it looks good. Um, my first musical memory? Yeah. I think I played the piano first. Okay. Uh, everything amateurishly. <laughs> It was like the Beverly Hills Cop theme song. I remember learning that before anything else. Really? Yeah. How dun, old were you? Dun, 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 dun. You're going to have to pay for that to play the song. <laughs> That's true. got to get the right My foot. first attack. Uh, How old do you think you were when you learned that? I don't know. We were in Scotland, so I was probably six or seven. Okay. Seven or eight. Wow. And I definitely played things on the piano before that, but that was the most cohesive thing I learned. And I played it on an organ at a church that my school went on a field trip to where we all got about 10 seconds on the organ and I did that and it, it went over very well. <laughs> Wait, so, but we have like video of you playing like real drum kit. Yeah, okay. I don't you remember don't, don't doing remember. that. <laughs> that could be any kid. I'm pretty sure it's me. Yeah. I but was, you remember playing piano. Uh, did that, I mean, like, were you doing that regularly? Were you like, I want to learn how to be a piano player? No. I mean, I, I wasn't, I didn't want to be anything. 
I was just sitting around enjoying my life perfectly fine, and you made me become a musician. You said, pick something. And I said, piano. And you go, that's not punk rock. And I was like, doesn't matter. I'm doing it. I got got the paddle and the whip. I just know that every house, like we have, both of my grandparents live in town, so we get to visit both of them regularly. And I think... At most points uh, in my life, all three of the houses that I've been around have had pianos in them. So I would just bang away. Right. And it was for fun. I didn't do anything collaboratively until I think fourth or fifth grade. I joined the uh, the worship band when I was at um, the private Christian school that I went to. Right. Uh, and I, pl- I played bass. I remember that. That was... That was a um, the beginnings of that was not knowing which note was which fret, and so I was told play the seventh fret and play the eighth fret. I was not told to play play G and C or whatever. Right, but I mean, what we could tell listening to you play the piano, and then I remember that very well. I'm like, you're playing the bass, like you had never played the bass, but I could tell. I'm like, oh, you're just able to figure it out. Like that was true on the piano too. You could just sort of figure out how things went. It was in the clause that I made with the devil at the crossroads. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, of course. People at home, you're, you're getting to know my son here as a comedian as well as uh, you know a musician. He's He's got a very... Someone has to liven up this podcast. I've listened to these episodes. They're drab. They're gray. You're not wrong. There needs to be some color. I get pretty sad. Actually, you know what? I was listening to your intro, and I'm really glad you mentioned your shower routine. In the, I know that you always have to talk about your showers. <laughs> so I'm glad the Too Bad Eugene fans get to know. I get in the shower. I take off all of my clothes. Hey. I, I turn on the water. <laughs> I write a song. I sing I'm it into the shampoo that's where the bottle. ideas come from. No, I know. Hey, uh, Bill Stevenson talks about that in Filmage, right? He talks about... Like showering. It, he talks like clean sheets. The song apparently came to him fully formed, like while he was in the shower. Like he got no, out of the was, shower it was while he was sleeping. No, he, he does talk song. about dreaming in songs, but I swear that song came to him in the shower. I swear he talks about he woke up with the song fully formed in his head. Okay, that, that's well, the story. You, uh, listener at home, you can tell us which one is right exactly. by watching Filmage, the Descendants documentary. Exactly, one person is screaming right now <laughs> <laughs> at their phone. And it's going to be you later after you watch the movie. How rad would it be if Bill Stevenson listens to this podcast and he's like, he's the one yelling? I don't think he would scream. I think he'd just roll his eyes. Yeah, I, he probably rolls his eyes at that kind of crud a lot. Okay. Uh, where were we? Um, we were talking about <laughs> my savant okay. nature again. You figure things out on the piano. Um, so when did like... So you would say today that like being a drummer is, or, or drumming is your main instrument of the multi instruments you play, right? Sure. Like, well, so maybe let's start with that. Like, what are the instruments you feel like you play at least, you know, with a basic competence? I mean, as subjective as that is, right? On a very punk rock Ramonesy level, <laughs> I think I would say I'd play the drums better than anything else, and then it's all on equal levels the guitar and the piano and then the bass right below those things uh and then you know i've i've dabbled in trumpet Mandolin. i can't play the trumpet the trumpet's so hard you really got to purse your yeah, lips yeah you can't dabble in trumpet that's like a full commitment <laughs> i could do the first three notes of the godfather theme song can you really on a trumpet no that's, that's your mouth i need 
I need to see it on a trumpet. I'll go grab the trumpet no, and but add I've, 45 I've, minutes to this I interview. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've seen you play the ukulele, the mandolin. Oh, those are easy instruments, though. Ask any, like, the ukulele is the most Instagrammed instrument of all time. Okay, you're not, you're not wrong. I'm just saying if you're going to paint a full my... picture. Oh, and we, we totally left out the melodica. Which yeah, you have played publicly a few awesome. times. That thing is, it can kind of make you seem uh, like a world instrumentalist, cultured in all ways, way easier than anything else. Because you whip that out at any type of performance, <laughs> and you can add a dimension unlike anything. It's like half an accordion that you, you need very little it skill kinda, to play. It does have sort of an accordion sound to it, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like you're underwater in the... Uh, the mid-Atlantic, playing uh, Greek stuff. So, so everybody at home knows a melodica. It, it it looks like a tiny little keyboard with a hose going into it, and you you breathe into that hose, and then you play the melodies. You know, and you can play multiple parts on the keyboard. Like you can play harmonies, and it'll get all the notes you play. Um, I can hear Bill Stevenson saying, "Yeah, I know what a melodica is." <laughs> Sorry, Bill. For everybody else who doesn't know, but the sound of it is is pretty close to a harmonica. Like the physics of it, I think, are similar to the, you know, you play it very differently from how a harmonica is played, but it has a similar sound. So uh, we uh, have a band, Calvin, myself, and my dad, um, called Grand Sam. A novelty act. Yes, we are. Well, I mean, that's pretty good. But the novelty of it is three generations. We do three-part harmony. Um my dad's name is Sam, so that's the grand Sam. It's like Sam and his son and his grandson. Oh! You never got that before? It's like a grand slam. Dude, I but it's feel grand so Sam. stupid right now. Anyway, uh, we've, uh, we we two songs we have that you play the melodica on, right? Yeah. Uh, what are they? This Magic Moment yep. is one of them. And... Uh, Bum, 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 but the Sun Kings, the Del, Del Rey. Come go with me? What What do you do on that with the melodic on No, that? you're right. I don't play the melodic on I that. forget. There's another song you play it, but here's what you guys need to know. Stand By Me. Do you really play it on Stand By Me? No. We're going to think of the other song you played on. Bill, but Bill the cool thing about this is that Calvin plays, he continues playing the drums with his feet. His, you know, his bass drum and the hi hat keep going while then he plays a melody on the melodica uh, in these songs. It, it is it is pretty cool to watch. Every time we do that, people in the crowd that are like talking or like just you know not really paying attention, they stop what they're doing and they're like, "Whoa, this is an event." I'm I'm mimicking plenty of much better uh, multi instrumentalists that you can find on the internet. If you look up uh, talented musicians, usually you'll see someone doing that. They'll play the melodica, they'll have something with their feet, and then they'll have another thing, like a drumstick attached to their head. Doing, I'm not <laughs> kidding, that's a real thing. Or no, 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 like on okay. a cymbal right in front of them. Oh, wow. Doing stuff, I can't do that. I've never seen that. Okay, it's so, real. cycling back a bit, drums is your main instrument. When did you start playing the drums? Um, it was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> 2015, I believe, it was Thanksgiving. It was Thanksgiving. Hey, the anniversary of my uh, Whoa. drumming. Le- That's so stupid to celebrate. But uh, 2015, you say? So you've been playing the drums for seven years? I was about, thir- I think I'm 13 at that year. Wow. Yeah. So during Thanksgiving dinner, which takes like six hours to prepare, and we're invited <laughs> at hour zero for no reason at all. So we all have to hang out. Uh, this was at the Campbell's. Yeah. Uh, my 
maternal grandparents' house. Right. Uh, at the time, that property had a great feature to it, which was there was the house, there was a huge garden, and then on the other side of the garden from the house was a really small uh, little room with a drum set in it and a guitar amp and a bass amp, and that was like the jam room. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was coming up after all my uncles had moved out and stopped playing together, uh, so I missed all the band eras, and I would just play by myself. And I learned that night, uh, Thanksgiving, the afternoon, really. I went up, and I, at the time, I'm in middle school. I had very little sense of a music taste, so I was... I went up and I learned how to play a Megan Trainer song. I think I'm <laughs> Baby, pretty sure it was. Uh, I was like, "Baby got back." No, that's not right. All about that bass. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was the most multi generational confusion I've ever heard. <laughs> they're, they're both songs about a similar feature. Who was president at the time? Jimmy Carter? No, <laughs> Barack Obama. It makes no sense. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was the song "Me Too." Which doesn't have anything to do with the Me Too movement, as far as I know. It's really? like, if I was you, I'd want to be me, too. Oh, I'm going to make you pay for three licensed songs. Yeah, yeah. On this <laughs> it, I, I just know that when I first started playing the drums, I wasn't into punk rock at all. Right. Uh, that was instilled in me from a young age, because you would blast it in the car. Yep. My tiny ears would reject it, because it's <laughs> the loudest music out there. And I just didn't, I didn't care for it. It was weird, because... As far as I know, punk rock is like the most rebellious kind of music, and my mom and dad playing it in the car all the time <laughs> made me feel rebellious in not liking the rebellious music. That's right. That's just you layers of irony. Teen pop. So uh, yeah, Megan Trainer. Well, I didn't favor anything. It was just what what I heard all the time, and it was stuck in my head. I also liked the Beatles, mind you. I it's had true. great music taste. You, you did. You did accept quite a bit of what we did play. Well, just my, not punk rock. My fourth grade. Uh, teacher, Mr. Richard. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's probably listening. Doubt it. He could be yelling <laughs> at just... his car stereo <laughs> right now. <laughs> I played the Beach Boys. Dang it! <laughs> no, he played. Um, he played uh, with love from me to you a lot, and mm-hmm. uh, love me do that. all these please please me songs and or love that, that those early Beatles songs. I don't think I was learning any of that on the drums because that's just boring when you're when you're really young. Sure. And learning. So what I would do was play to the the Carly Rae Jepsen, the Taylor Swift of it all. I was really into it. And you can fight me on it. I don't even I hey, love that stuff. I really, 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 really like Carly Rae Jepsen. You're gonna have to explain that joke. <laughs> don't actually explain it. I will not. No one wants no one wants to hear the explanation. Yeah, that was my first uh my first drumming experience. Okay. So, but uh, I mean, what seemed different? Hey, here comes last week's uh, interview guest, Mercy, Mercy Nye. Do you want to talk about my first drumming experiences? <laughs> That's for everyone in Brooklyn. Uh, and most deaf reference. But so, I mean, like you went from though, and this is something we all saw noodling because you noodled on the piano. You would noodle, you know. You had gone up to the drum room before, or to the band room before. I swear you before had. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah, just it's so- just what happened that day was you started playing regularly. From that day forward, like every time we went either to the Campbells, yes, your maternal grandparents' house who had a my, band my, my room, maternal. or to my parents, the Nyes, who also had a band room, and there was a drum set in both, it felt like from that day forward, you were going to, like, whoever's house we went to, you were going to go play the drums. The drum set at the paternal grandparents belonged to my Uncle Sammy. Oh, yeah, too who, bad Eugene's former drummer. Who I don't think... 
<laughs> he wanted me playing his drums as much as whoever yeah. the drum set belongs to. No, we had to be sneaky about that. Maternal grandparents, and now we're, it's on the podcast. He's probably yelling at his phone. <laughs> um, he listens on his computer, I guarantee it. He's out of his computer on speakers. His, yeah, I don't know. Gotcha, Sammy. Well, no, uh, at the maternal grandparents' house, the deal with Thanksgiving was I went up to play the drums... I left the room, came back down to hang out with the aunts and uncles, and then I went back up a half hour later. And I did that maybe five times that whole day. Right. So it, that just in one day, I started a cycle of just right. play, stop, play, stop, play, stop. And that's. And it was within like a been ever month since. that you had like some basic beats pretty well down. It was like, okay, Calvin's like a drummer. Yeah, I was doing Pantera. <laughs> Whatever. This is totally off topic, but I totally want to say it. Because totally. as we're just talking about going back and forth between my parents' house and Rachel's parents' house, um, in terms of the, our kids' musical education, I, 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 I don't know. I just find this so interesting. Because, yeah, we, we listen to an eclectic sort of things. Um, and I bring with me the stuff I grew up with, uh, me, mom, Baba's house, Beach Boys, Beatles, um, uh, Credence, um, Buddy Holly, Jefferson Starship, the Everly Brothers, definitely not Jefferson Starship. Um, but so when, if if we're playing music like with my dad over their house, it's it's these oldies, right? But at uh, Rachel's parents' house, and I, this always sort of blew my mind, and it blew all of Rachel's brothers' uh, friends' minds and stuff. That like when we would get together for family things, we would go up into that jam room and play music together, and it would be like. Uh, Rachel's brothers Clay and Dave and her dad Steve and and I would play along and the the stuff that we would play would like ninety percent of it was Rage Against the Machine, The Who, and Tool. There's some other stuff they throw. Oh, and Van Halen. They loved Van Halen. Like those bands were kind of like it, it was just so different. It was all loud and you know super like blues riff based stuff that was not what was happening over at my parents. So you you grew up around all that. Well, well, your mom Mima, she loves Rage Against the Machine and no, stuff. No, she it's just does the, not. The, the man of the house doesn't allow it. He doesn't like the loud music. She loves country music. And enough said about that. Pull it in your head. No, that She's is jamming out in that the car. Not my mom. Just jam. listen to my tunes. Okay, so that's kind of how you got started as a musician. Um, what I, another topic I just think is is interesting. I think people might enjoy is just hearing some of your favorite music because you have crazy eclectic musical tastes. That's my T-shirt I'm wearing right now. It says I have crazy eclectic musical tastes, <laughs> and then my phone number is right beneath it for all the ladies. All right, so <laughs> I'm gonna ignore that comment. Uh, the <laughs> most broad possible question I could ask: What are your favorite musicians, bands, singers, artists, whatever? Sky's the limit. What is your favorite stuff? That changes all the time. I think right now my answer for favorites: I love Aretha Franklin a lot. I think her. You better um, think. About your answer to that question, I actually like what's what's funny is uh, your parent your parents Mima and Baba would play some Aretha Franklin stuff, the Lady Soul era, and I never loved a man the way I loved you, which is I love that stuff a lot, but it's it's kind of the more seventies like five years ten years after Muscle Shoals respect. stuff, yeah. 
I don't think it's Muscle Shoals playing with her because what? um I was looking at the track listing the for to say, yeah. Amazing Grace, which is that awesome live album that I, I listen to it like every day at this point. The guitarist Cornell Dupree and the bassist Chuck Rainey and the drummer Bernard Purdy. That band with Aretha Franklin has become my favorite thing in the world. So they played with her on that live album and the studio album Young, Gifted, and Black. Those two albums combined, I think I've listened to like 700 hours of just this year. It's like I can't stop listening to that. Well, maybe I misheard you. Are you saying like she didn't do anything with the Swampers? I'm not saying nothing. It's just that's not the stuff that I listen okay. to as I much. I thought the like respect era was was done with them. That's what I'm saying. I don't really have much of a focus right. on. Right. I that's don't know. Not your. I'm sure era that. For I'm sure that you know more about the band that played with her. That I don't know. Really. I just watched that Netflix documentary Muscle Shoals and loved it. If you haven't, if people at home haven't watched that, you got to watch that documentary. It's I, awesome. I haven't seen it. I'll be screaming at my phone later. <laughs> Why haven't you watched it yet? You idiot. <laughs> I also because learned- I mean, she had started where I think like her earliest hmm. stuff was more um, kind of sixties pop where there's like an orchestra and stuff behind her. Her, her then- very first stuff was church music. It was hymns and like uh, album releases. Yeah. Really? In like the late fifties. Oh, okay. Was, well, you know more than I do. It was, um, I forget her name but the uh, the her contemporary uh another another black vocalist from the same time i can't remember her name but they had very similar sounds and very similar uh catalogs of music they were covering the same okay church hymns and stuff and so then she the way they phrase it in that amazing grace movie is that like aretha started in the church she had a secular phase and now she's back mm. and that now she's back i'm like that's the, just the greatest music i've ever heard Cool. I think ever. All right, so that's number one. What's number two? Milo goes to college. Duh. <laughs> I can see Obvious how the two go second, together. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, it goes from. Yeah, I would say that's those two are the albums I've probably listened to the most in my life. Wow. Uh, what a maybe what an interesting pair. At least on my own time, like on road trips when I was a kid, you you guys played my two of my favorite albums of all time to this day are. Plans by Death Cab for Cutie and Hopes and Fears by Keen. And those are two albums I have a lot of memories of you guys playing in the car. Yeah. And at home on our uh I still love on our both little C D player that's also an FM radio. Yeah. I think an AM too. We never experimented with AM. And uh okay. that stuff <laughs> it's like the nerdy white music as uh, compared <laughs> to the the gospel stuff of uh Aretha Franklin. So that's kind of the um the realm of what you guys played right that i took under my own wing and and have listened to on my own so so we have a lot of overlap like uh, there's a lot of punk rock we both like there's a lot of what you just called uh, what nerdy right nerdy white rock <laughs> death cab uh, for, yeah death cab keen yeah uh, w- w- we overlap on that a lot um, i love radiohead too nerdy white stuff yeah but i'm not <laughs> as the radiohead fan you are uh, i'm not an anti fan but uh, you're definitely you kinda, more into them than the I am. The few times that I've tried to play them for you, your your squint kind of well, uh, it, yeah, I mean, insinuates an anti fandom. It's post uh, OK Computer uh, Radiohead that I'm like, I just I I I think OK Computer is great, but name a song on OK Computer. Um, I I can sing them better than the uh, I can name them. 
The I can sing them. The one that says the, I can name them. I am born again. I know that one. Yeah, it's and time. I know the, the the one where track. That's cool. We don't have to play this game. Later. Yeah, that's uh, the second song. Okay, so, so the you first know two. The first two. I, I I don't know their names, but they're good songs. Airbag and Paranoid Android. There you go. Just saying. Okay, uh, talk about hip hop because that's one place that you you're able to go quite a bit deeper than I am. Uh, and uh, I'm I oftentimes kind of look uh, to you uh, uh, as like for an education in that because I don't a know miseducation, much about it. huh? A miseducation. Oh, that's a Lauren Hill reference. I understood that reference. Okay, uh, cool. Lauren Hill, <laughs> miseducation of Lauren Hill. I'm a compulsive list maker in the following in the footsteps of Jack Black and John Cusack. Oh, yes. I'm making album favorite decade lists all the time. Yes, I do that too. At this point in my life, Miseducation of Lauren Hill sits at the top of my 90s favorite albums of, of the like 90s, all genres. Of all genres. Wow. Well, I mean, it's it's so like you were talking about eclectic. That album is the most diverse album I've ever heard song to song. What is that like is that 99, 98? Like, no, it's um I believe it's 96. Seven. Really? I was surprised oh, I to hear that it's even in the 90s. I think it's 96 because I'm pretty sure I bumped Everything Sucks off my favorite album of 1996 Ooh. for Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Wow. Bill Stevenson once again is screaming at his phone. <laughs> I wonder if he's ever heard Lauryn Hill before. Yeah, I'd be interested to know. Like other you know, punk bands we look up to, like what they're... Uh, what they're into outside of punk. Could you get off your phone, please? This I'm, is a I'm, professional. I'm looking up the uh, 1998. Miseducation. Really? Lauren Hill. Oh, shit. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's that's my favorite album of the 90s. The 90s would probably, just because I'm not, uh, I'm not listening to contemporary hip hop as much and, mm. and trap stuff, I would say the 90s is probably my favorite album for that kind of music. I love that. Your favorite era. For that yeah. Kind of music. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, that's probably true. I like the. I like the tribe called Quest. Mm -hmm. I like uh, Nas. I got really into Nas last year. Mm -hmm. That was me walking around with a huge frown on my face all the time. Like, oh, I'm such a huge Nas fan. I'm just gonna be mad all <laughs> the time, um, just out of prison type of thing. Uh, <laughs> Elmatic is like, you talk to anybody who actually knows their stuff, they'll say that's the greatest rap album ever made that's kanye's pick and he really knows what he's talking about these days <laughs> so <laughs> just kidding he sure does <laughs> um yeah that's a great album i love i love a lot of different i don't really know how to talk about hip-hop because i'm i'm on the outside but i do love uh most def uh black on both sides okay i'm i think that that might tie with lauren hill at this point for me i was listening to that Am yes, I wrong? I'm feeling like you've talked about Outkast a bit. I thought you. Oh, were... I do love Outkast. Yeah, I'm not super versed in their first three albums as much, or sorry, their first four. Uh, but um, their last one, well, their their real last album, uh, Speaker Box, The Love Below, is one of my favorite albums ever. That's early 2000s. Hmm. Their album after that was the score to their movie. I can't remember the name of that movie, but it's nasty. It's not very good. Okay, so. Uh, one thing I will break the news on for people at home is that you're also drumming in a country band, country uh, cover band. The country is cover band. Is this really band. what we're going to talk about? Well, on the podcast? I just here, it's leading up to something right. because uh, yeah, uh, I, I got a, to see Calvin and a bunch of his friends 
Where as opposed to when he plays with us, he's like the twenty year old with a bunch of middle aged dudes. Uh, he, you know, he got to play with just other guys that are in their twenties. Um, this last week, uh, this uh, what was it, just a couple nights ago. Um, it was it, for it's the blessing, which is a charity cause founded by my friend Lauren De Los Santos, and uh, you should look that up and donate. Just saying. Okay. So here's here's what I'm kind of interested in, and this maybe be our last topic. Oh, let's kind of see how we go here. But um, as a drummer, um, you know, when you play in Too Bad Eugene, you sound to me like a punk drummer. When you play with Grand Sam, to me, you're you're channeling Ringo and other early sort of '60s drummers, uh, and it sounds very genre authentic. That was also true of watching you play um in a country band like it didn't sound I, I didn't feel like i was watching a punk drummer try to play country you were playing country pretty authentically uh and, and you're able to move through those different genres uh as a musician and, and really get the distinct feels of those different genres so i guess what i'm interested in is like do you feel overlap or is there intentional over, overlap do you feel like you bring um punk sensibilities outside punk or non-punk sensibilities inside punk or is even that is that kind of a stupid question with you know are those uh, artificial boundaries to even draw first off i think you could have fit like three or four more compliments about my drumming style in there before you posed the question <laughs> oh, but that's fine I'm proud papa sorry um do i do I feel like I'm putting punk in the other stuff or putting other stuff in the punk? Is that your question? Or I, Yeah, I'm just interested in sort of, you know, because this was something I was talking to uh, my friend Cameron about when we uh, we were both watching you guys play the other night. Or no, uh, no, I was talking to Jaden, the who's in your band, Jaden Hughes. Um, Name drop, Jaden Hughes. Remember that for later. <laughs> uh, I feel like it, maybe this is just me, but I felt like for other musicians of my era – we tended to kind of pigeonhole ourselves. Like I am basically a punk musician. Even when I am playing um, oldies with Baba, I feel like I'm doing so as like a punk musician. I just kind of have this sort of singular uh, musical identity where you as an individual musician, but Jaden, your friend, is also this way. There's a much more eclectic um appreciation of different kinds of music and an ability to play different kinds of music and fully inhabit those different genres when you're playing them where you don't kind of like punkify country or uh you know or, or that kind of thing I, I guess i'm just interested to hear you talk about that it does that feel easy to do to move between well and also playing at church which you, you both both you guys do which is a distinct thing um it has its own kind of genre limitations to it uh, so I guess, I, yeah, I'm just interested in hearing you talk about that because it's so different from me. Uh, like I, I think and feel and act, I feel like in a much more pigeonholed way than it seems when I watch you play. I'm like, man, you're able to just move around. I mean, I just, I love to play the drums so much hmm. more than anything else I do ever. <laughs> so, uh, and I also love to listen to music. I also love to listen to music. <laughs> Sorry, I was. I'm afraid of sneezing on the mic. I've got a bit of a cold right now, so yeah, you're all good. Um, I would say, I will say right now that 
throughout the last 10 years of kind of maturing a music taste and listening to lots of different kinds of things, I've discovered that there's no one genre I like more than another, Hmm. and there's no one style I like more than another, which is stuff you just said. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of just repeating. Uh, I just, I don't really know how to, to explain... I do. I you know what? I'll get bored of playing a certain way and want to move on, mm. and then a week later I'll come back to that same thing and, and think it's much better. It, it's kind of a situation like I don't know if you go through periods where you don't know what to listen to, and yeah. you want to listen to music, but everything you turn on, you turn off thirty seconds later, and you're just kind of unsatisfied. I'll do that, and the two bands that are the most consistent for me to be able to turn to in my Times of trouble are the Beatles. <laughs> Sorry, that was so stupid. Um, the, it's the Beatles and the Descendants. Those two bands are like, if I'm in a slump, I will listen to those guys, and I'll avoid my homework, and I'll go sit behind the drums, and I'll play, I'll play something from Abbey Road or from the White Album, or I'll play something from Milo Goes to College or Everything Sucks, and it's like I'm, I'm. I'm just getting back in the habit of playing what I like to play. And then I'll go through a phase right after that, you know, the next day or, or four days later, and it'll be something like uh, playing along to the drum tracks on the um, on the rap albums we were talking about earlier. Right. Uh, which is fun because a lot of the times the drums on those rap albums are samples from older things that sometimes are 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 as weird as like Led Zeppelin drums. Uh as far huh. as I know on the Beastie Boys song Oh, I'm going to get the song wrong, so I'm not even going to try. But they sample a Zeppelin song on one of the Beastie Boys songs, uh, just the John Bonham like isolated track. Huh. And I I would play along to that song, whichever one it was. And it it was like I didn't like Led Zeppelin, but I loved the Beastie Boys, and so I would play along to that and and get into playing that kind of style, which is like huge echoey, yeah, uh, triplet solos type of stuff, and and then later, yeah, it's it's just kind of like a I can't settle down, and I can't, I can't, I really don't like to be pigeonheld. Uh, I like, I don't know how to make this sound unpretentious. I'm gonna try my hardest, <laughs> but it's like if if I'm not playing from the heart mm-hmm. and from what I actually feel in my soul then you hear it and my timing's off and I, I'm not enjoying myself. And I, as far as I understand professional musicianship, it's applying what you are hired to do to your heart. Mm. And <laughs> like, whether you love it or not, put it in you and then make it come out. Learn to love it. However gross that sounds. <laughs> so like any, any kinds of drumming that I do, and I don't play like you you were very strategic in pointing out the kinds of drumming that I do well. If we were to talk about like jazz or any kind of world drumming like African style that uh Peter Gabriel has on his albums, right. I suck at some of those kinds of things. And but I try I try it, a lot, but I'm not like the thing I get from you is not reading music and not being right. classically trained. Right. So I I watched the movie Whiplash like every other drummer in America and was like <laughs> I want to do that I want to play caravan and I try 
and I'm holding my stick match grip and I'm that's crazy or not match grip match grip is the way everybody else does the I'm doing the buddy rich style and I just suck at it but you can like fake it a little bit and <sighs> and do some of those th- if you try and like I'm just saying I when I watched that movie I came away from it with the exact opposite impulse I was like I was so thankful <laughs> that I was never really brought into that world of like competitive jazz musicianship. Yes, to the the fact that we are punk musicians, I'm sure has a lot to do with the fact that it's nice to play the drums without another drummer sitting over your shoulder waiting for his shot right. on your kit. And uh, J.K. Simmons is about to throw a chair at your head. <laughs> no, I'm glad to grow up in a different environment than that. But you can't deny that those are the most impressive drummers ever are the guys that have mastered that classic jazz style i i i just ogle at it from a from an audience perspective i suppose you're right but and maybe we'll kind of land the plane here and i'll just embarrass you one more time with like uh a bunch of compliments but go on (laughs) as a uh like i don't sometime in my musical development, I stopped thinking of myself as a musician and I started thinking of myself more as a songwriter. Like I care about songs and the way songs sound and the way songs feel more than I care about being an impressive musician. I'm not that impressive of a guitar player or a, um, you know, bass player or a singer. Um, as a drummer, I would say you are an impressive drummer. Like when somebody just kind of lets you go, you can do some things that like, uh, well, I've been, in, I've been there. I've been in the room and watched a, a whole room of people like stop what they're doing and watch what you're doing. You can do that. But, uh, those are my melodica solos <laughs> where I've got, no, like, I've got my flip flops on and I'm like, kick, hi hat, kick, hi hat, melodica, <laughs> melodica. Bobble will put you on the spot playing wipe out. Then you can like, get huge crowds of people freaking out when you do a wipeout solo. But when, um, within each of those genres that we play, you, um, you're, you're able to like focus on the song as a drummer. And this is something we saw as we watched the, what is that new Beatles documentary series called? Get back, get back. (laughs) A Beatles story. <laughs> Something we saw about Ringo in that. Like, I mean, I think we already knew it, but like, I, I really felt it in watching that, that he did not think of himself as like a drummer. He's not asking. He hated drum solos. Yeah, exactly. Which like it's really so many drum, drummers of that era. They're like, when is the part in the song where you guys all shut up and let me do a drum solo? Right. Uh, and he was not that way. He's like, how at, can my instrument add to this song? And that is very much what you are as a drummer. Uh, you know, I... As I, I was saying before you came downstairs for the interview, and I was doing the earlier part of this um, of this song, on this the record, oftentimes segment. I was encouraging you, go crazy. Uh, on uh, Throughout this album, I was like, I think a lot of these songs are going to sound better when you are less restrained. But I would sort of target the parts where I felt that was true. And then otherwise, yeah, you, 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 you find the pocket. Um, you, you don't make every song a, uh, well, as the... Uh, was that in that thing you do? Have you watched that movie at all recently? No, it's been well, a while. It's the way they make fun of their drummer, their original drummer Chad, in the Wonders, is that every song is Wipeout to Chad, <laughs> and and that is not you as a drummer. Is that Giovanni and I appreciate Ribisi? that you about you as a drummer. That's Giovanni Ribisi is the yes. original drummer. G- Giovanni Ribisi is the Chad. I gotta watch that again. That's great. Oh, it's it, that is my f- absolute favorite movie of all time. When I make my top ten lists. It is pretty much always number one. Well, with the with the song structure thing and 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 being a songwriter, I 
I definitely get an appreciation for a song from you and not necessarily the chops of a musician. And I like, I like the structure of a verse and a chorus and a bridge and how those can artistically be woven together creatively and how the drums support a band is what basically what I'm always listening for. Uh, it's only been recently that I've gotten off my dumb high horse and been like, you know, John Bonham really is pretty great. <laughs> even though there are 13 minute drum, like I just, right. I got a distaste from Led for Led Zeppelin from you and I'm going to let the too bad Eugene fans go nuts over that. Cause I'm sure they all, <laughs> I don't hate Led Zeppelin. I'm just sort of kind of lukewarm on them. Well, so I recently have started to, to warm up to it because it's like, sometimes you cannot deny pure skill and pure amazing showmanship. Hmm. But yeah, the 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 love for songs and the support of each instrument. Oh, you know what I should have mentioned? Favorite albums from the 90s. Elliot Smith, for hmm. me, is one of my favorites uh, right now, at least. And I think the reason I love him so much as a musician is, especially on his first two albums, his second one in particular, that's self-titled, he, you can tell, respects songs yeah. more than anything else. Uh, he doesn't like he's a great guitarist and i think he's a pretty restrained but but great singer and when he writes his songs and and puts them on the record it's like barely any of them have anything other than vocals and guitar sometimes there will be like a very subdued drum track of mm. a ride cymbal and a snare by themselves those only come in when they're needed mm. and sometimes they'll come in like harder and 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 louder than other songs but it's so rare that you hear anything other than just the guitar and his vocals. And the more I listen to that album, that second one, I'm realizing like that, that guy, he knew how a song was meant to be from its inception and he would make the instruments serve it in the appropriate manner. And hmm. that is my favorite thing in music. And that's yeah. why I think the Beatles are the best is because I think the way that the guitar and the bass and the drums and the vocals and the piano a lot of the time interact with each other is their most dynamic strong suit. And that's, I don't know. That's what I care about most. I think. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't have the appreciation for Elliot Smith that I know I should. Uh, I feel like Joey Cape uh, was maybe the first to alert many of us that we should be paying attention to him. And I just, I haven't caught that train yet, but um, a lot of what you just said even though we just crossed over an hour, I don't care. This is fun. We're going to keep going. Um, it triggered in my head uh, a major topic for you that we haven't been talking about, which is comedy. And I, and I wonder how much, oh, of a, uh, how much of a connection there is there. That like, um, you know, th the main thing, you know, in, in com well, uh, I, that's probably a debate. But I feel like I've heard a lot, not being a comedian myself, uh, that you know one of the main That's most important debatable. ingredients of comedy is timing, right? That it, it's it's all kind of about the way you structure, you know, the the setup and the punchline and the way you time it, the delivery of it. Um, I don't think it's uncontroversial to say that comedy is timing. I okay, think most people would agree with that. And I think I would say it's a similar thing with like song structure, right? So th there's a kind of you know there's a kind of song. Or, or there's a kind of band, there's a kind of musician that just kind of wants to show off what they can do. Pink but, Floyd. <laughs> but the, uh, that's the kind of, what that, they, can they do don't is care put about you to timing sleep. is what I'm saying. Pink Floyd sucks. <laughs> I don't care about you or what you think. 
but I, I think the things we care about with music, uh, in the, the fact that we care about song structure and that kind of thing is, is in, yeah, it's a similar logic to comedy and the fact that you like, you set up something in a certain way and then you transition in a certain way and, and you can have a chorus that you feel like is really strong, but it's only going to be what you want it to be if you've kind of, uh, set up a, a, a contrast to it. In the preceding verse, it, it is kind of like a setup and a punchline or something like that, um, and and I think yeah, I, I feel like there there there's some kind of connection there. You can tell how much I love comedy with how well timed that Pink Floyd jab was <laughs> out of nowhere. I'm I've become this last year with uh, Jack White's two most recent albums, Fear of Dawn, Fear of the Dawn, and Entering Heaven Alive but specifically Fear of the Dawn. I've become a huge Jack White fan, and he's always said, or recently he said, that he kind of treats his music like comedians treat their material. Um, I don't know much about if he means songwriting or how he plays live, but I think there's a a strong relationship between how a musician does their stuff and how a comedian does their stuff. I don't think you're totally off base there, Dr. Nye. Not something I thought all that much about, but I think it, there there could be interesting uh, the, the avenues only, for thought. The reason he says that is because when he's playing live, as far as I know, he does not have a song list. He really, doesn't, he doesn't go in any order. It's like he'll he'll decide earlier in the day of the show which song he'll start with, and then it's all about the energy. And the band's just got to know his repertoire and know what he's going to pull from. I mean, it. If I was in Jack White's band, I would be eager to do that because yeah. I love that stuff. And I'm sure you can tell in, in those guys that they love to do it, too. You've played with Baba. I've been playing. This is my dad. I've been playing with him for 20-something years. We will have a list. Sometimes we're playing gigs that are three, four hours long. Um, and he'll, there'll be a very you know detailed song list, but it won't matter. He'll just The, the mood will take him, and he'll call out a song. And he's called out songs I've never heard. Maybe like somebody in the front row of the audience will like call out a song and it, 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 it'll like, yeah, that'd be fun. And he turns around and he's like, hey, we're going to play this other song. And maybe Phil Welty, uh, the guitar player I realized I did not give credit to earlier, who also plays in Grand Sound. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, like Phil will know it. So the two of them will know it. And I'm like, all right, let's just play it. And then it'd be you and I, um, I've also played with my brother, Sammy. He's been in these bands. And we'll just look at each other. And we're like, I have no idea what that song is. And my dad will just be like, don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. And we will. We will figure it out in front of, it can be hundreds of people. Uh, and yeah, he, he kind of has that. It sounds like Jack White has made a, a career choice out of that I'm sure impulsivity. That, I'm sure that Jack White has taken a lot of inspiration from Sam Nye. <laughs> I can't imagine that's not the case. <laughs> Now, is Jack White or Sam Nye yelling at their car stereo listening to this right now? Jack uh, White is probably <laughs> quietly brooding over it. Bob is screaming. <laughs> Swear Okay, him. that seems like a good place to end this. Calvin, Ba-bow. thank you for being on uh, the Too Bad Eugene podcast. Thank you for being uh, Too Bad Eugene's drummer, making this record sound, I think, stinking awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, we'll be, I'll be back next week talking about anecdote. Here's one more taste of take another shot. Goodbye.